You're listening to Europe Calling with Terry Whitehead and Vince Tracy. All the news from Spain and the UK. Things you might have missed. So, a very good day to everybody. It is the 16th of February. A lovely, lovely sunny day here on the Costa Blanca. I hope it's good for you too. Okay, so obviously it gets a little cooler during the evening. I'm going to uh, get into the car, drive across the mountain range, and uh, we'll be down at Alfaz del P before you can say Jack Robinson or even Terry Whitehead. So, good evening. Welcome to you, Terry. All right, Vince, how are you doing, pal? I'm fine, and uh, like I was saying, lovely day today. Very, uh, very nice day. Yeah, it's glorious, isn't it? What's really nice this time of the year is the definition of the mountains. Uh, there's no humidity, uh, and it's so clearly defined, the mountains. You can see for miles and miles. Yeah. You see such a lovely colour. Like I say, it's a bit nippy. Uh, the sun starts going over the yard, and it gets a bit cooler, but it has been very nice today. Yeah, I've been um, nice walking down by the uh, port at Alicante and uh, look around the town or city. So, yeah, nice. Okay, well, look, we start tonight with a Portuguese lorry driver. And I don't know whether or not uh, you've seen this, and I hadn't seen it anywhere else. So he was left for dead after a migrant attack at a rest area along the A16 motorway in Calais. Um, in fact, I'm reading this and I'm looking that this is December the 19th. Now, why it should still appear on the T, the, the, you know, the, um, the, the website, etc., is part and parcel of a problem which I think, um, you know, it's easy to do, but at the same time, you wonder whether or not these things should still allow themselves to be up on the internet. Um, because. Well, it's probably still going on, Vince. That's probably why. Okay, um, I've not seen anything about France and the Calais area for a long time. No, <laughs> we've been very much, uh, that's not in the uh, public eye, is it? Yeah. Uh, and it's obviously still going on. I mean, when you see the videos of, uh, of, of the migrants chasing after lorries and threatening the lorries with sticks to make them, you know, with branches and clumps of concrete to make them stop so they could climb aboard. Of course, they're dead scared to say anything in case they get beaten up. And should they get to the UK and discharge their their, their illegal load, then they get massive fines. Uh, the driver gets a massive fine. Yeah, it's uh, and yeah, the, it's, again, it's 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 like cowboy land. It's, there's never a sign of a policeman anywhere. It's a, neither ever. I mean, France is so bad in that way. Uh, I mean, I remember back when they were overturning Spanish tomato lorries as they crossed the Spanish border into France. They were turning their lorries over and setting fire to them, beating the drivers up. And the police were there, photographed with their hands in their pockets, watching what was going on. So it's, it's quite possible, quite, they accept political violence. I think it's just part of the, the, the way of life, I think. That's why that, I mean, the Gilets Jaunes in, uh, in Paris were, were, were running rife for, yeah. for months on end, every Sunday, closing the, 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 the capital down. Yeah, it's a strange... Uh, yeah, yeah, you don't see anything, do you, about Well, about you don't. I, I mean, but the, you do see lots of bad parties at Downing Street, which is obviously far <laughs> more important than any other Third World War in, 
in well, Ukraine. Well, when you were else. talking about the gilets jaunes, the uh, the yellow jackets, that that um, I can remember clearly. But what I didn't see much of is that they had a convoy of trucks in Paris at the weekend, and yeah. uh, you did have people who were eating at restaurants, having to run away so that they didn't get all this, um, uh, you, you know, the, the tear gas and things like that. So um, just yeah. to continue with this last bit of this particular one, because I hadn't heard anything about it. This is a 48-year-old lorry driver uh, attacked by three migrants who tried to enter his lorry. Around 10 minutes after getting into the fight, the t- Portuguese lorry driver then suffered a heart attack, lost consciousness and died on the spot. Um, and then, uh, according to France Bleu, the paper, the driver was also taking heart medication, was overweight and also smoked. Now, that really doesn't really give you any sort of a license to just accept the fact that a, a, a guy doing his job has been killed, does it, really? No, but it's just complete lawlessness uh, in that part of France and other parts of France, just the same. Complete lawlessness, uh, uh, I mean, they were copying last week the uh, what was going on in, in Ottawa with the lorry drivers uh, holding well holding the, the, the <coughs> holding the city to ransom, basically for weeks on end, and they had to call in special measures to get rid of them. But there was it's copied. There were copycat protests throughout the world in different cities. I think there was something in Spain as well that attempted in Madrid or something. We didn't get very far. Lisa, a bit more lively over here. Yeah, I think you're right, actually. Okay, well, uh, let's go then to the first of our stories from Spain. Um, that one, as I say, more a question of being annoying because it's still around, and mm. really, you do need to get rid of these things as soon as they're, um, you know, as soon as they've done and dusted. But having said that, as you rightly point out, maybe it's still going on. So here's our first story from Spain. Okay, this is a retired Spanish doctor and he's been campaigning to maintain face-to-face customer service at banks and he presented a petition in Madrid on Tuesday with more than 600,000 signatures to the Secretary of State for the Treasury, Carlos Cuerpo, at the Economy Ministry. He also presented his position to the Bank of Spain, Carlos San Juan, aged 78, from Valencia, used the slogan of Soy Mayor Ni... Uh, no idiota. So I'm old, not an idiot, for his campaign against the Spanish bank's growing use of digitalization services. He's been calling for the banks to provide staffed services for older people in particular, rather than making them use online services with many elderly people not fully adept or at ease with online banking. As the campaign gathered momentum last month, he received a phone call from the governor of the Bank of Spain and the government also publicly appealed to banks to ensure they were meeting the needs of older people. Spain's banks, like many others worldwide, are shuttering um, branches. I don't know why they said shuttering. It should be shutting, really. And scaling back the times when face-to-face services are available, prompting San Juan to call for urgent measures. Spain's Government Minister for Economic Affairs and Digital Transformation, Nadia Calvino, stood side by side with San Juan on Tuesday and has promised effective measures by the end of the month to address the problem. 
referring to Spain's estimated 10 million retirees. San Juan said outside the economy ministry that he was motivated by the desperation of many, many people who feel excluded. On his petition website, he complained that nowadays almost everything is done on the internet and we don't understand those machines. This is obviously the doctor. We don't deserve this exclusion, he said, demanding human attention when he goes to a bank. He said at times he felt humiliated when asking for help from a bank employee and they treated me as if I was an idiot because I couldn't do it. The banking mm. sector in Spain cut around 19,000 jobs during 2021. It's also been estimated that 11% of bank branches in Spain have been closed since the start of the pandemic. But the growing use of digital services is not only affecting banks. Um, it goes on to talk about Spanish media and um, uh, you, around a third of Spaniards feel restricted in terms of their ability to access services, jobs or state aid due to the digital divides the survey shows. The government has promised to lobby the banks to make staff available for older people, saying the industry recognised the problem and had vowed to remedy it. Now, I think he's on a winner, this doctor, because I think, um, you know, like we normally get around to talking about it, money does eventually talk. And uh, realistically, the problem has long since been the gap in the technology between the older people and what they're trying to force everybody to do. I mean, how do you feel about this modern technology, Terry? I mean, are you comfortable with all of it? No. Uh, I mean, I use, I use a computer every day. But I use um, very basic programs. I use, I use calculation programs, Excel, Word. Uh, that's about it, really. I don't use an awful lot. I've got, I've got my drawing program as well um, for, for architecture. But uh, as regarding programming a computer and knowing how to to get behind the the back of it, what they call the back of the computer, to interfere with all the this and yeah, I've got no idea. Um, and uh, I mean, I printed. I just had to fill in a passenger location or locator form because uh, I'm going to the UK tomorrow, and uh, so it's for the UK. And it was it was it wasn't that easy. I mean, I struggled with it. I was swearing at it. I had to go back and change a few things to make it work the way I wanted to, and eventually it worked. But they, they some it's as if somebody had deliberately gone out to make it difficult. You know, it could have been I could have made that far simpler. It was just so stupidly difficult. And I think that's sadly what's that's what happens with a lot of these things. Uh, these programs uh, are designed by people. We know an awful lot more than we do, and don't look at it from a, uh, a normal man in the street's eye of how, how to work it and how to get around it. I mean, even it took me even working the hole in the wall. You know, I remember when it first, when they first came out, it was it was wasn't always foolproof, and now there's more and more services that you could do the hole in the wall. Why? Because they are sacking all the staff. You can't even get into my bank now without an appointment. When you do, there's no point. Uh, there's, there's not a lot of help given. If the computer says no, the computer says no. No one can really get their head around things for you. Uh, I'm very disappointed with the banking system in recent years, to be honest with you. And yeah, I do feel so sorry for, for um, the bulk of the people who live in, in our area. We live in a great society. Uh, it's, it's, it's basically retirees where we live. Uh, and I feel so so sad for the bulk of these people who, who must be struggling uh, um, to, to do, you know, do online banking. 
and other things online as well. I mean, even like, you know, put in the car through the ITV and everything is online now. Everything is online, which means the people on the computers that they employ on the other end are of, of lesser intelligence because they don't need to employ clever people because a computer does it for them. Hence the old phrase, the computer says no. Yeah. Uh, and I had, a, I had a massive row with the bank the other week about it where there was a problem between the bank and, uh, and the tax office. I paid my taxes on the internet via the app. Um, but uh, I was, the tax office told me I should have had a code given back to me by the bank that I had to write on my form before I send the form through. So I paid the money. They recognised I'd paid the money. That wasn't a problem. But uh, they said that you didn't put this, this 16 or 20-digit code on as well, on the paperwork. I said, well, I never got a code. So I went to the bank. I say, no, no, you don't get a code. You, you, you paid your money online through the app and it doesn't deliver a code. I said, but the tax office tell me I need to have a code and they won't accept my declaration until you give me a code, in which case they're going to start admitting me 20% tax. Uh, and it went on and on and on. And they just, you just couldn't get through to them because they work in the computer. And the computer said no. Hmm. So in the end, I had to push them to give me a number of somebody who knows a bit more about the computing system in Madrid. Uh, and I finally got it, and I was a good three quarters of an hour with them, because they were in denial as well. I said, well, you know, one of you, and it's not me, the bank or the, or the government have got it wrong. It's not me. But unfortunately, it's me that's going to have to pay the fine. Uh, so guess what? You're going to have to pay it for me, because I'll fight this tooth and nail for the courts, because it can't be, must be happening to other people. So eventually, it took weeks, Vince, it took weeks, eventually got resolved. So I'm fully, I'm, f I'm right behind this guy. I'm right behind him. And, and yeah. uh, it's very sad uh, for, for a certain, uh, a large percentage of the population who just can't, just can't handle it. Well, I, I think, you know, even from a practical point of view, um, when I need to go and see the bank, I now, obviously, like everybody else, you've got to make an appointment. Yeah. And then invariably, it doesn't matter how cold it is or how hot it is, there's a queue outside and you are yeah. not allowed to go in and take the shelter and the seat and there's yeah. no customer service whatsoever. Mm. And um, paradoxically, of course, um, over the last couple of days, they've been announcing how wonderful the profits have been. And of course, <laughs> you know, all the banks are, are now telling us that they are now back in profit. Um, they, they gave you a, a load of figures. So there's a load of banks now making money again. Well, it's not the cleverest of ways to make your, your money because basically um, all you've done is stop giving a service altogether in other words you're doing very little if anything for the money that you're making they've shut down uh, at least 50% of the banks around here in my village we used to have a, a way too many banks to be honest with you they're all fighting for the business there were so many but now because they, it's all really online uh, they shut them down. They shut down. Uh, I go my particular bank um, to get free cash out the hole in the wall because there's no way I'm going to be queuing to get cash out from inside the bank. Um, I, I've got to travel. I haven't got one in my village anymore. I, I mean, Alfaz is, is 20,000 people population split between here and the, and, the, and the part on the coast. But it's the part on the coast that's got the bank. Where we all live hasn't got the bank. So I have to drive down there. It's a good 10 or 15 minutes to and park up, and then there's a short walk to the bank to go to the hole in the wall to be able to draw the money out without paying a fee. I could draw it out in you know, virtually any other bank, but I've got to pay a fee. Why should I? 
You know, well, they're making fortunes, these banks. And, of course, while all this is going on, nobody is making any interest. Uh, so, therefore, they've got the money. Um, they're using the money that is owned by the people that are using the bank or not mm. using the bank, as it would appear now, using the hole in the wall. And so, therefore, you know, you'd think if any... Um, should we say good at all could come out of this they should be offering some in, in well better percentages at the moment we've got nothing so therefore realistically they're making money out of our money um, telling everybody they're, they're back in profit but nothing is given back to the people that have got the money in the first <laughs> place and using their that'd bank be, that'd be silly you, you, don't, you do not be under the impression that banks are here to serve you as much as they tell you this, they are not here to serve you. I'll tell you the truth, Vince. I've been screwed now. I say now because recently I've been screwed by the last bank. I've been screwed by every bank I've had an account with here in this country. Everyone. And I'm probably talking a dozen. And when I say screwed, I mean had money stolen from me. Uh, and the latest one is, um, is it's about three and a half thousand euros that they stole out of my account. Uh, because I gave them a, a post-dated a pagare, which is a legal post-dated check. It's a legal check. Yeah. Uh, I gave it to them months before it was due. So when it's due, you claim it. And they claimed it. And it was that it was the amount that appeared in my bank. Thank you very much. Two years later, that amount is taken out of my bank. So I go, what? So you go down the next you do. What have you done? Why has this money come out of my account? Oh, uh, well, uh, and it ended up, lots of embarrassed faces, they'd lost the cheque. They, the bank, had lost the cheque. So, in other words, it was credited to my account because the staff knew that I'd, I'd given them the cheque and they credited it. They credited it without cashing it. They did it because they knew I'd given it them. But then the bank got took over by another bank. And obviously an audit has thrown up the fact that I had money paid into my account by the bank that was never copped from the, the, the company they were supposed to get it from. Uh, I call it a company, it's gone down the tubes. So they, they're, they're, they've got a shortfall of, of three and a half grand because they lost, they, not me, they lost the cheque, so they took it out of my account. <sighs> Terry. Yeah, two years later then. And I, I, now it's gone past the bank now. I'm now with rousing people from Madrid, lawyers and the rest of it. So now we'll take you to court. I said, bring it on. I can't wait. I'm not going to take you to court. It's going to cost me money, but take me to court because it's going to be a really, really interesting story. I can't wait to see what a judge says about this one. So welcome to my country of banks. <laughs> okay, let's find you another story. Stand by. Okay, well, we can stay with the banks here in Spain as Fury, um, as experts living in the EU, shunned by banks in the UK. Now, due to Brexit, expats apparently are being shunned by financial institutions in the UK. British expats living in the EU are finding that British banks and building societies do not want to lend them money. This is due to relationships between uh, Brussels and the UK surrounding Brexit. The number of UK nationals living in the EU buying property in Britain has dropped significantly. 
expats who have decided to live elsewhere across the globe are finding that they do not have the same issues. Speaking to The Telegraph, uh, Guy Stevenson from Mortgage Broker Offshore Online explained, with no comprehensive financial settlement being part of the UK Brexit deal, many of the British building uh, societies have decided to stop lending to EU residents who live in the EU. This is until the position is clarified. This has limited the supply of lenders. Now, according to the Daily Telegraph, one UK national who was working in Germany was turned down by a British financial institution. The teacher had met all the financial criteria, but was still turned down. Mr. Stevenson said, we got him uh, lending with an international bank based outside mainland UK. Uh, many British expats still hope to purchase property on a buy-to-let basis in the UK. This is becoming increasingly difficult. Mortgage broker Mark Harris explained options are limited for buyers as high street banks and building societies have stopped serving this market. This is partly due with the increased difficulties in checking income, expenditure and general affordability. It is also to do with the lack of a financial bill which is still uh, to be agreed. Has that come anywhere into your sphere of influence or anybody that um, maybe you've been speaking to has talked about it? Well, not as bad as that, but yeah, there is. There are there are, there are problems. Obviously, the computer says no, so that's it, isn't it? It's, um, it's, I think it's very much related to the last thing we were talking about. It, it, it's chaotic, isn't it? Because you've now presumably got the... Having uh, previously been com- a combined banking system throughout Europe, you've now got the situation where Britain is no longer part of Europe. Um, but what the hell's changed since then? You know, what, why, why, what has changed to, to, to cause this? It is difficult. It is crap. It is bureaucracy. It's people who paid fortunes in, in, in the European Commission to, to find as many sticks and stones they could shove under the the feet of, of, of British business to cause an example to all the other countries, European countries that are thinking of pulling out. I mean, the 27 will be 21 quite quickly. Six six nations are, are very close to pulling out. So it's, it's imperative they make uh, a, a point of, the, of showing that pulling out of Europe does not pay. So hence, all the stick that Britain's been getting since, since day one. You would think they would like to revert back to our original idea of joining, which was the the European Economic Community, the EEC, where free you know free trade. Let's trade with each other. It was fine, Vince, until they brought politics into it, and the idea that we have a a, a, a United States of Europe national governments and the and the European Army, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, the Lisbon Treaty. Yeah. It was fine until the Lisbon Treaty started, and then we're oh, no, no, we're not having any of that. So, yeah, watch this space. It's just going to go get worse. It'll get worse when it gets better. Well, that's good. exactly how I feel about things because, you know, when we signed up and it was the common market, uh, like everybody, I was excited by the fact that I could go to. I love France and I still do. And before I had got, developed a love of Spain, you know, I was very happy to go and spend time in France. And then mm. we got the opportunity to come to Spain. And obviously, uh, all this was prior to uh, Brexit and uh, obviously this um, pandemic and everything. But I mean, realistically, it was um, you can see paradoxically that you've had this build 
build-up of the um, uh, the political side of it rather than just let's do do business together. I mean, if we stick to business, then realistically, we've all got something out of this. Whereas now, if they're going to behave like this, and it would appear like, um, you know, each time we get a new uh, head of the European Union, I mean, we, we had enough with Holland, um, and now France are going to take over. And it's almost like, you know, what can we do to diminish Britain? Um, that seems to be what it always seems to be about for me. Well, yeah, you said... Surely, you know, think that businesses will want to do business with businesses in Europe and Britain. They shouldn't. There is no problem. I want to do business with everybody anywhere in the world. That's what I need to do, basically. Uh, it's politicians' problems to make that as difficult as possible so they have control. Now, of course, when Britain pulled away from the, from the European cabacle, they, uh, they took control. So now Europe does not have any control over British business, but they can. I can chuck sticks and stones under your feet and slow things down and make it difficult, all, on, all based on the principle that they, it has to be shown that leaving the European Union is a bad thing to do. And this is what will, reprisals will be taken. It's no worse than the bloody Nazis. Um, but business wants it to carry on. So at some point, Somebody, it, it, the, the business organisations, uh, the national business organisations, should get together and say, wait a minute, look, we just want to do business. You, you have your politics and carry on, but meanwhile, you're screwing my company, you're screwing their company, I want to buy stuff, he wants to sell it to me, you're just messing me about. Now, stop it. You know, or we'll, we'll withdraw our, our support of your political party or whatever. But it's difficult when it's the European Union, you don't get a political party. It's... I think it's part of the people in Luxembourg who make, make the rules. It's part of the problem as well that most of these politicians, uh, I would say, I think I'm fairly okay to say most of the politicians have never been in business. So therefore, they've, but, but they, they've got their money coming in and they don't worry too much about it. Um, so if they had the same worries that um, entrepreneurs and, and businesses had, they'd obviously think differently, wouldn't they? It's, yeah, it's just control. They... they, they they must have control. Control is everything. If you haven't got control, you haven't got you haven't got a government. You, if, if you can't control business of your country, then all hell lets loose. Then it, it, you have to have control. So you have to have a big stick and a little carrot uh, and control the businesses. They have to have it. And rather than let business just get on with it, which is the ideal thing to do, they have to have it. Now it works. When we're a member of the EU, it worked to a, a reasonable extent. There were still problems, because uh, I remember I was trying to bring some machinery in from uh, from Finland, I think it was. No, it wasn't. It was Norway or one of, them, one of the Nordic countries. And because it had a, a certain amount of copper in it, in the machinery, everything was held up for, for months at the border. And something else, because there was something else in it, it was held up paperwork and paperwork and crap and, and people making keeping keeping themselves busy justifying their jobs it, it doesn't work really like that i want to buy something i can buy it now is that a lot of that's been ironed out you can click on there you can go onto amazon you can buy anything from anywhere in the world and it seems to be smoothed smooth away unless you buy something from britain and you've got to pay duty on it yeah uh, here in spain uh but it seems to be smooth you know big Things like Amazon 
which can put pressure on governments. Believe me, Apple, Amazon, uh, it, the the Facebook, etc. Uh, but Facebook are doing a big thing at that minute, doing a big pl- uh, play against Europe. They're uh, calling Europe's bluff. Yeah. But they're putting pressure on, on government. They can do it. They're big. They're big. But no one listens to us, Vince. It's, like it's me and you that suffer. Yeah. Anybody else listening? Okay. Uh, awful, Here's our next one. Now, in the UK, Labour's youth wing has come under fire for accusing Sir Keir Starmer of backing NATO aggression over the Ukraine crisis. Young Labour took to their Twitter account today, uh, this was yesterday, to criticise the Labour leader for his vocal support for NATO. Um, as over 130,000 Russian troops amass on the border with Ukraine ahead of the potential invasion in coming days. The group claimed that NATO aggression was a threat to worldwide safety, despite reports that Russia are looking to use a false flag attack to justify an invasion of its neighbour. The group has been singled out Uh, heavy criticism by centrist sections of the party and accused them of parroting Russian narratives intending to justify a land grab in Ukraine. David Meller, USA, Austin, uh, USA, says, uh, this is one of the comments coming in under this article, Labour is rotten to the core. It is not the patriotic pro-Western party that helped establish NATO in the late 1940s. Keir poses as a patriot and moderate conservative kind of guy. Uh, it's a small c, obviously. Uh, but if you yeah. look at uh, his history, he's just as radical as Corbyn. That's why these anti-British youngsters voted for him to be leader. At university, he was part of Marxist faction, and he is almost as fanatical uh, in his eco-zealotry as Boris is. He won't be happy until the UK is bankrupt to save the planet. And then again, uh, another one came in from Manchester. You do not understand that the countries under Soviet influence were held back, but so both socially and economically. As soon as they had a chance, they escaped from the oppression. Then they realised that they did not have any way to defend themselves if the Russians decided to come back. Therefore, they want uh, to join NATO to make sure that they could be free and develop socially and economically and now see a future for their children. Um, OK, let's deal first with Keir Starmer and uh, whether or not he is as left um, heading towards communism as the papers seem to be claiming. Uh, what do you think of him? Well, he's pre- his predecessor was, Corbyn was. Keir Starmer isn't. No, but Keir Starmer's purely keeping that seat warm. There's no way that he'll be fighting the election on behalf of the Labour Party. He'll be gone. He'll be gone. And they're grooming people like Jess Phillips and uh, a couple of other ladies um, to, be, to be put up as, as the next face of, 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 dare I say, new Labour. Not the old Labour, put it that way. How could uh, how could anybody justify NATO aggression? 
um, because from what I've seen, it doesn't appear that there is any NATO aggression. I think well, there is, isn't it? It's the same thing that happened with, with Khrushchev and uh, by a pigs in Cuba. Khrushchev sent missiles into Cuba, right, which is the border, the, the nearest border they have to the States, in 90 miles from America, the United States of America. He put, he put, uh, he put mis- nuclear missiles into Cuba, right? So he put arms on the border of the, the United States, which Kennedy bluffed him out, and this is exactly what's happening now. The same thing's happened again, but Putin uh, assumed that um, that Europe and NATO wouldn't really bat an eye because back in 2014, they took the Crimea and a, and a lump of land that is, is Ukraine. Crimea isn't Russian. It's Ukraine, but they took it in a lump of land. And they're settling people in that eastern Ukraine. They're settling them there. I quite expect, really, to, to, uh, to the, uh, uh, a solution will end up, I believe, uh, A, that Russia gets uh, all the economic uh, advantages that it's fighting for. That's what it wants, his worldwide economic parity. So he can trade. That's why he's got his hand on the gas, the gas lines and everything else and forcing people to the table. I don't believe he's ever, ever had any intention of invading Ukraine. I, I, I think he would like to have a lump of Ukraine, uh, take a bigger lump of Ukraine on the eastern border, which is basically pro-Russian anyway. I mean, Ukraine is twice the size of France, isn't it, or something? It, it's a big it's country, amazing, isn't it? Yeah. It's, it's, a, it's a huge country. Now, Kiev is right on the far western, northwestern border with Europe. You know, it's literally, literally over the road from Europe. Kiev, the capital. So, so western Ukraine is very pro-European. Eastern Ukraine appears to be more pro-Russian. So Putin desperately needs uh, a bit more warm water territory because they're on the Black Sea there. So I can, I can really see Putin being given a chunk of, uh, of Ukraine as a, as a way of settling this. Um, of course, it's after Ukraine saying they won't join NATO, but it's written into the Constitution. And NATO's been very specific that they will, they will let Ukraine join NATO. What does that mean? Put me back to your first point. It means that NATO arms and weaponry will be placed in Ukraine, which is no different to what Khrushchev did against Kennedy back in 1961. And I think no um, at all. I think some Russian weapons, it's either Russian or Chinese weapons, are in South America, which again um, uh, is gone under the radar a little bit at the moment. But that's of concern. There's American weaponry all over the world. It, it, listen. The arms, the arms business is is a is a multi-trillion trillion as many zeros as you want dollar business throughout the world. It's massive. The biggest amount of money that these major countries spend, certainly the USA and, and, and USSR, or USSR, how can they hold that? Russia, USA and Russia is, is on in armaments. Now these armaments, like all technology, go stale, so they have to get rid of them. <clears throat> so you can't just burn them. <coughs> so they'll sell them other nations and they're very interested in nations going to war with another nation because invariably america will take one side and russia will take the other and each side will supply uh, either side with, with weaponry so they can see how the weaponry works they can test out test out the weaponry and mind the millions of lives or thousands of lives that are lost in a in a stupid war but that's what it is so it's an enormous amount of money that which they've got on the battle he's got his hundred and fifty thousand troops and all his equipment on the borders of, U- of, of eastern Ukraine at the minute, Russia. 
but he knows that equipment in 10 years' time won't be worth a toss. Won't be worth anything. Nothing. It'll be completely outdated. Um, so this is, again, it's down to money. It's not just a case of grabbing territory. It's down to money. That five-letter word every single time. Always down to that. Nobody wants to go to war. Nobody wants to fight. A, a, this will be a third world war if it does kick off. I hope and you it could very easily kick off. Some stupid idiot fires a drops his rifle and it goes off and kills somebody on the other side. It will kick off. Yeah. That's why they're worried about like a false flag um, uh, start, uh, a possible start to the war. But I don't yeah. think I don't think I don't believe it will come to that now. Okay. I, I really don't believe it will come to that. I hope you're right. I think he's going to get what he wants. He will get what he wants. He get his economic uh, power back that he that he was losing. Yeah, because uh, it's in dire straits. Russia, there's no doubt about it, and and he and he's and he's, he's through his own fault. Russian business is, is choked throughout the world because of his stupid idea. I mean, he, he killed two people uh, in Britain on two separate occasions using nuclear poison. Um, uh, it's it, it's awful uh, what he, he could do throughout the world, and he's got to be stopped. Yeah. And I'm very pleased that, that Europe and NATO and the states have come down and go, "Bosh, no, not anymore." He was under the impression he could just keep, he would just keep nicking it and nicking it. I mean, Lithuania and Ethiopia, Lithuania and Estonia, etc., and Latvia are all prepping themselves for, for, for years now because they're, they're the first line of defence. Yeah. Ireland feels quite good now because it's up against West Germany, West Germany. It's up against Germany. It's not the only old politics coming back with the old borders. Oh. Uh, so it's a strong border. Um, but of course, Russia's got to understand at some point they will have a border with somebody else, i.e. with China. Yeah. So both China and Russia will have arms on both sides of their border. Yeah. It's just got to be accepted. You can't say to the world, listen, we don't want any arms in Ukraine because that's too close to us. It makes me nervous. What are you going to happen? Because that's the way it is. Countries are different. We've got arms, you've got arms, we'll have ours, you've got yours. Just don't, just don't fire them off. Okay, it's, it's all about the money, mate. Don't worry about it. Okay, here's our next one coming up. Okay, so this is about the House of Lords becoming the latest institution to quit a controversial workplace scheme run by charity Stonewall following a row about gender-neutral language in legislation. A bill to enable ministers to take maternity leave without stepping down initially referred to pregnant people rather than mothers, but the wording was changed after peers raised concerns last year. Now, the Upper House has abandoned the LGBTQ+, Charities Diversity Champions Programme, under which participants pay for advice on created, uh, creating an inclusive working environment. Other high-profile organisations to have done the same include the BBC, while government departments such as the Cabinet Office have also rejected it. A Lord's spokesman said the decision followed an assessment of the costs and benefits of the programme, adding that it is taken in consultation with equality networks in Parliament and that the Lords remains passionately committed to delivering a more inclusive workplace for our LGBT plus colleagues. Um, OK, I did see something going through Facebook this week, which was uh, Piers Morgan interviewing a 
I can only say a person because I don't know whether it was a male or a female. It was somebody who was in a three-way marriage. Uh, and they had siblings and uh, one of the children was called Sparrow and wanted to be referred to as they. This is one person, by the way, referred to as they. And this um, lady, I'm going to say lady because she appeared to be more of a lady than anything else, but she looked like a young lad. Um, obviously, um, they got to an impasse with peers who eventually said, well, it's pretty obvious that it's not your child because they, they were saying that the child was driving all this, what they want, etc. He said, it's not the child that's driving it at all. It's you. And I think quite honestly, um, I mean, it's, it's like they seem to have forgotten what does it mean to have a minority and a majority. I mean, always, yes, uh, by all means, pay a little bit of attention to what the minority need. But for goodness sake, let's remember mm. what is the majority. What do you think of all this? Oh, great. That's why I mentioned about being colourblind a couple of months ago with you. I, I'm, I'm, the more I think about it, myself being colourblind, which is, you know, it's no big deal. But there's, there's more colourblind people... Uh, in the world than there are LGBTQ whatever people in the world. So hang on, us colourblind people should have more rights. I think we should get together and start protesting, join the streets, uh, get a flag, it'll have to be a black and white flag, um, and, and start having a go and get, and get all sorts of uh, uh, rules and laws changed. This is absolutely ridiculous. It's back to my pet hate of political correctness. Let's just ban the idea of men and women, shall we, completely. So, I mean, that'll be the next thing. Why have we got men's football teams and women's football teams? Why can't men and women play on the same side? I can't work that one out. Why the Olympics? Why have they got to have men's and women's? Just let them run. Oh, well, us women aren't as fast as you men. Well, that's your fault. <laughs> we're, not, we're not having any differences here. Just don't have any, have any differences at all. Just, just remove the whole idea of but I think All I th because... Yeah, but Vince, it's all because of a tiny minority of less than 1% who are making their voices heard because we're totally full of apathy and do nothing about it when they need slapping down. Well, look, um, I know I will obviously ad nauseum tell everybody the reason behind all this is to do with communism. You know, it's everywhere you look if you want to see the reasons. If you can confuse the family, it was written, you can beat capitalism. This is a way of doing it. Now, if you look at the uh, sporting uh, fraternity at the moment, you've got these um, college swimming teams in the United States and they've got um, transgender people coming in yeah. to t tackle yeah. the uh, the yeah. ordinary ladies, you know. Yeah, let them get on with it. Well, uh, let, them get, let, let, listen, let them get on with it until somebody realises, wait a minute, wait a minute. This is absolutely ridiculous. This stops now. That's what's got to happen, Vince. That's what's got to happen. Well, I, I you somebody's see, gotta, somebody's I rather gotta thought... Somebody's got to have the to stand up and, and do it. But I rather thought that that was where, with a big Tory majority, you could have started that, and it hasn't happened. Um, so, you know, that was... No, I've, I've, had other, I've had other things on the mind, like a pandemic and Brexit. I'm just, I'm, I'm, hopefully, they might just come round to doing something about it. If anyone would do it, they would do it. I mean, Labour would. Labour wouldn't do that at all, be the other way around. Well, I, yeah, I, I, I certainly well, don't think... I, I certainly don't yeah, think... Well, it's not... You've just mentioned the States. I mean, of all places, if states would sort something out. 
it's 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 wrong. It's the it's the tail wagging the dog. No, you are a minority. Yes, we appreciate that you have a problem, but that doesn't mean that we have to change our way of life. You know, I don't. I haven't protested that traffic lights are all wrong because they're red and green, and I can't see it. They <laughs> should they should be blue and yellow. The truth. I, I, I just get on with it, Vince. I just get on with it. I live my life accordingly. Look, let me just give you another little story, which, again, I see as part and parcel of the same thing. I mean, okay, we've just talked about the House of Lords, which is a place for eccentrics to go and sort of discuss things uh, in an eccentric way. But, okay, we'll we'll allow that to be um, because it does at least put a break on government and, you know, other excuses. But there was a story which I covered with Neil on Tuesday, and it was to do with a, um, a woke head teacher who has, um, this is in Lancashire, by the way, has imposed a ludicrous rule forcing pupils to become vegetarian to help the planet now this is the uh, i'll give you the name rachel tomlinson head teacher of barrowford primary school and she said she made the decision in order to educate children about the environmental impact of of eating animals and to help stop climate change the rule was introduced last year, but furious parents were not untold until a letter was sent out by the school on Thursday. And it comes after this controversial person, previously uh, for bad teachers at the school, from raising their voice uh, and holds a belief that there is no such thing as a naughty child. I've worked with these people for a long time, by the way. Uh, and mm. in a letter to pupils in 2014, so we're going back seven years for this, she told them not to worry about exam results as they they do not always assess all of what it is that makes each of you special and unique. Now, the school was subsequently branded inadequate by Ofsted in 2015, the inspector's mm. lowest possible rating, just three years uh, after it had received a good rating. This particular person, I'm going to use the term quite uh, um, generously received widespread criticism for her approach which removed all punishments for misbehaving students with parents and campaign groups calling for her resignation and blaming her for the school's decline ripping up the traditional rule book she scrapped the normal fixed times playtimes and lunch allowing pupils to decide when they wanted to eat or have a classroom break <laughs> instead of becoming angry at pupils teachers are also encouraged to say a child has, still got a job. Oh, wait till, wait till you hear this. Child, uh, teachers are encouraged to say a child has emptied my resilience bucket before <laughs> sending them to the nurture room if their behaviour gets out of control. The school's relationship management policy also currently says that staff are to use anger onions to support in the regulation of behaviour, an exercise coined by family therapist and author Judy yeah. Barraford restored its good rating in 2016 after the, t the head teacher and senior leaders remarked on a rigorous journey of improvement. And really? you, you know, and you wonder why I came away from teaching, Terry. I mean, it's yeah, gone it's not, yeah, bombers. It's not just teaching, bits, like I just mentioned before, like with House Lords, it, it's creeping everywhere. Now, where are the parents at this school? Why haven't they gone down there and dragged that woman out and just binned her, just sh literally shoved her in a dustbin? That's where she belongs, and and put somebody else in a, in her place and let the school run properly. This is, but they 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 they're allowed to do it. 
say they're allowed to do it. They, people have let them get away with this. Apathy. Total apathy. It's reported. It'll be on the news. It'll be in the newspapers. But nothing's ever done about it, Vince. And all of a sudden, these people get massive amounts of publicity. And all of a sudden, these other anarchist, anarchistic idiots will jump on the bandwagon. Before you know it, you've got a protest outside the school. You know, save our planet, eat more vegetables. <laughs> uh, it, it's, it's outrageous. It's absolutely outrageous. But I keep saying it, Vince, what is outrageous is our apathy to let it happen. That's what's outrageous. I know all these things we're talking about. Every time, every time you say this, I do get a little bit sort of defensive because I packed in my job. Because basically, I tried to try and get something done about all the idiot stuff, like she's talking about there. You know, no naughty children. Uh, that's bonkers. I um, I started in further education, Terry, and mm. I realised that the kids between sixteen and nineteen, especially on the youth training schemes. The ones that were no good at reading and writing tended to be the people who were badly behaved. So I thought, OK, I'll go down and I'll retrain. I retrained into secondary modern. Again, the same sort of thing. By the time you've got past uh, the top infants, uh, you've lost it. So I went and retrained again and I went into primary schools. And mm. then I was tended to be called in for the class that was the 11-year-olds just before they went off uh, to become, you know, they, they have the summer holidays, then they go to the secondary schools. And the trouble is, that's the age that they've already lost it at. I mean, we're, we're, I'm, I'm generalising, of course I am, because there's some mm. smashing kids, of course there are some great mm. parents, but in every primary school I was in, and don't forget Cornwall's not the worst in the world but certainly it was a good representation um you, you had groups of kids who were out of control and the trouble is you know as somebody who tries to be kind to people in my life i always would always try to be kind to children but you cannot let the kids dictate to the teacher how to run a classroom they're not old it's enough called discipline Vince. it's called discipline you're not allowed to have discipline anymore well, that, that's absolutely right, in fact. I think it comes under freedom of expression, Vince. Well, every, every kids got to have freedom. You can't, you can't even tap your, your, your child's bottom there if they're out of order. You get taken to court. Running alongside my teaching career, I, I was also a judo instructor, and I liked the way the Japanese respect each other. You started every session by bowing to say to the children or the students or even the adults, if the adults were there because it was that type of club, uh, you'd be thanking them for coming along to learn, and they would be bowing to you to say thank you for coming to teach us. It's just a courtesy. But when you actually get to the stage now in the classroom where you you actually battle to call the register. It's probably got worse since I came away from it. Um, you know, the, the sad thing is the the more that you actually look at all the different parts of all this jigsaw puzzle that I see as totally um, isolated until you look for the links. I think this is part and parcel of how you get to it. Rather than maybe just come into the older age, your age, my age, the people around us that have been through it, mm. we know what we're talking about. You get in and you indoctrinate the children. In fact, I was looking at a couple of reports the last couple of days. One was 
five-year-olds, uh, two to five-year-olds using tablets for far too long. I mean, that's an obvious one. Uh, then there was mm. another one with children between the ages of, I think it was nine to 14 were being surveyed. And the BBC uh, report on this one had found a website which is full of chat rooms where these kids can go in and become, you know, part of... There, there were three things quoted. One was... Um, somebody in a Hitler's outfit uh, doing a rant so that was one um, and another one was a couple having sex I mean come on Terry uh, you know this internet needs challenging a lot of the behavior that comes into the classrooms is because kids have seen things either on the TV all these okay it started off well they're, they're talking of that's why um, Facebook are having a hissy fit his name is it on Facebook yeah he, he, he's, he's having a bit of a hissy fit with Europe because they want to bring controls in. And he's, he's saying, well, I'll pull the plug. You won't have Facebook for our Europe if that's the case. Bring it on, far as I'm concerned. Um, the, the trouble is, Google has become a national word. You want to find something out, you Google it. You Google it, and up comes this explanation of what you want to find out, and that's it. But hang on, you've got to think. There's, about, there's probably 100,000 pages there of explanations of what you're inquiring about. But you'll take the first one. So, and, and, it's, and there are people who can manipulate their pages to become the first of answer course. to any question. Yeah. Right? So it's very easy to indoctrinate people uh, and tell people to pack a lies if you want to uh, about something, but they'll take it as read. Google it, click on it, it comes up. Oh, it's so and so and so Okay, thanks. I don't go into it any further. We'll find out where the sources are that have brought this information up or look at other possible proposals and answers uh, that may come up. That's it. It's just so easy. Nobody, nobody knows what a bloody library is anymore. Well, or you're right. How to research some information with a book, for God's sake. You're absolutely right. I, I mean, a, a very quick way for me to reconcile this is, you know, you hear a song, people shazam it or they Google it and they say, mm. oh, there it is. And they'll give you the artist. And sometimes I say that's not the artist because I know the yeah. original. I've had the original. Yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah. anyway, I'll move Very on true. because I've got a couple more I'd like to try and get in. Okay. Um, here's the first one. Okay, this is in your part of the country. And a road in one of the UK's most deprived areas has been dubbed the Bookie Belt after a cluster of four betting shops opened up just yards from each other. Washford yeah. Heath Road, you might know it, in Ward End, <laughs> Birmingham. Oh, yes. Yeah. Okay, place. it's seen an influx of gambling outlets springing up in a community with high levels of unemployment and low income. Locals can bet at branches at Ladbrokes, Paddy Power, Betfred, William Hill, all just a matter of a few metres away from each other. Politicians and residents have now slammed major gambling companies for targeting the most vulnerable in society in one of the poorest areas of the country. Neither of the four bookies on the street responded to a request for comments. A dad of two uh, 44-year-olds who lives in Ward End said many people have found it unacceptable for these bookies to be springing up in this area. Some are unhappy, not only in some cases on religious grounds, but also because of the impact on poor and vulnerable families. It's a no coincidence they have deliberately targeted a deprived area to try and make the most money to line their pockets with out of the poor members 
members of society. There's always yeah. something morally wrong about this. They know gambling addicts are more likely to be found in these this sorts of areas. This has been going on for years, Vince. This has been, this has been going on for years. There was a report came out, I'm not going back, must be eight or ten years. A report came, and that was on the teller, it came back that uh, certain places have got enormous amounts of, uh, literally one door against the other, betting shops in the poorer areas. And, you know, you, you, won't, you won't find one in, in Windsor, probably. You'll be struggling to find one. You know, it, it's, it's because people who desperately need money will do anything desperate to try and get some money. And if I've only got a pound left, I'll put it on this horse and they'll lose the pound. Now they haven't got anything left. Now they're going to borrow some money to put £2 on to try and get the £1 back. And there's only one winner. They don't understand. Same with bingo. There's only one winner. You, not all the people uh, who, who use betting shops, and I can tell you this from a personal point of view, my father lost his family and everything through gambling. He was a massive gambler. He would gamble on anything. He would gamble on two flies on a windowpane. <laughs> he would. I'm not joking. He literally did do that. He, he gambled everything away. He lost his family, his wife, his kids, everything. That's my dad. A complete loan, loner. And how he got away with it, I'll never know, because he was using the money from the company uh, he was working for, and he managed to get the money back in time. We never saw it. We never got, we never got any benefit because you don't win. Yeah. And if they do have a win, guess what? They <laughs> buy it back in again. Goes back in. How many times you seen people well, were using a, playing a one armed bandit? They stand there for hours putting all the money into it, and when they do get a payback, which is very less than they they put in, let's carry on putting money in. Do they really think that machine manufactures money? <laughs> Terry, he's going to pay out more than he puts in, is it? Terry, yeah. ni- 1969, as they were putting yeah. a man on the moon, you yeah. might have your conspiracy theories about this. I uh, was quite happy to just watch it and look at it. We yeah. had nobody coming into the club where I was working, and so I played a fruit machine. And uh, I, I didn't win, and I thought, well, okay. And I borrowed a week's money. And I put my week's money in, lost oh. it all. And I've never yeah. touched a machine since. Yeah, yeah. I was, well, at least you learned from it, mate, didn't you? I, I did. I was very lucky. I'm going to finish quickly. Mm. We've only got one minute left. So let me just quickly hit you with this one. Oxford University has been slammed for advertising for a lecturer who needs to have a PhD that, and the job pays less than a cleaner or an Amazon driver. The job mm. teaching history at the prestigious uni pays just 19743 a year. Dr. George Severs, who works as a lecturer in the subject, fumes less than £20,000 for a job which requires you to have a doctorate. This is too common at Oxford and Cambridge and it's insulting. One student studying for a PhD in history said, £1 less than cleaner at National Library of Scotland. And then another person ranted, Amazon workers get paid more, Amazon delivery Mm. drivers get about £115 a day or £108 a day uh, for factory workers. Um, I mean... You can see quite clearly that, okay, we haven't given all the details of the job, so there might be a bit Mm. more of a reason. But if you're going to ask for somebody with a doctorate to teach, uh, unless that's a part-time job, then that is ridiculous, isn't it? Vince, I've told you this story before. In 1971, or 1970, 71, I I decided I needed another job. I needed to get out from where I was. And I used to buy the, the broadsheet papers, the big uh, telegraph, things like that. Yeah. And go to the back where the situations they could were. 
and I'm, I'm scanning for, for, to get looking for a job. And I remember seeing this big advert, quite a big advert. It's it about an eighth of a page. And it basically was advertising for a door-to-door salesman. And actually what it was, he used to go around knocking on doors with his case. Although I'm not going to say he was a broom salesman, but he was selling something door-to-door, right? And I, I just read it, and I was, just, I was intrigued by why this big advert. How do they afford to put a big advert on that? Anyway, explained about the person and the, the successful applicant will have a degree in economics. I've never forgotten that, Vince. <laughs> and, I've, and I've got... What, and I've started thinking, why does a door-to-door salesman have to have a degree in economics? Why are they asking for that? And the answer is, because they can. Mm. <laughs> Simple as that. They can. You know? And I've no doubt somebody with a degree in economics has hired up and he wouldn't have got the job. But that was a door-to-door salesman, Vince. So that's 1970, 71. Uh, believe me it's been going on for a long time Okay, Terry we've come up to the end of our hour once again very enlightening and very interesting thanks for your company and we'll catch you next week thank you Terry thanks see you mate see you next week